Hello, friends of Soul Kitchen. Thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Jasper Mutsaerts. I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach, and wisdom seeker. With Soul Kitchen, I interview people that inspire me. From TED speakers to social entrepreneurs, from activists to artists, from dreamers to seekers, from business people to spiritual teachers. With Soul Kitchen, I empower people to live their quest. And each episode contains a recipe for life. What is your quest? So welcome, friends, to a new episode of the Soul Kitchen. Today, I'm talking to a guest who got introduced to me to another podcast guest, who is Maria, when we talked about self-empowerment. And my guest today is H.H. Leonards. She's the founder of the O Museum and the Mansion in Washington, D.C. She's also a friend of Rosa Parks and a writer of the book Beyond the Bus, Life Lessons and Leadership. And um, when I asked her if she wanted to know anything before we enter this podcast or whether she wanted to prepare, prepare anything, she said, I approach things with an open heart so we can just enter the, the conversation. Um, I'm so happy to, to meet you today. So um, how are you doing? I am honored to be with you. I think we're kindred spirits, and I look forward to connecting to all the people that listen to you. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. And um, um, you wrote this book about uh, Rosa Parks, but not everyone that is listening might know who she is. So can you maybe remind the listener of who this magical person is? I did not know who she was for three years in, until somebody else asked me if I knew what she had done. So whoever doesn't know is not alone in the world. (laughs) She was the mother of the civil rights movement in the United States. She is the person that uh, sparked this uh, civil rights movement in 1955 by refusing to get up and move to the back of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. It was a gesture that was heard around the world and especially um, in the White House and the Supreme Court. And you can make, start a movement by such a simple thing as just refusing to stand up. It's quite remarkable. And that she has survived all the other people at the time that were much more famous and in the news consistently because of a simple gesture. It's a lesson for everyone to uh, learn. And uh, before she was um, refusing to stand up in the bus, she was already involved in the civil rights movement. Can you share a bit about her background or her activities leading up to this famous day? That's a great question. And I don't get asked that frequently. And she wasn't asked frequently. It used to frustrate her that she got pigeonholed on just the bus situation. But in the 1930s, 25 years before the bus, Mrs. Parks began documenting rape victims in the South, men and women. And she did this in order to survive her own experiences. So her way of surviving horrible things that happened to her was to reach out to other people and make them document their lives so they could become whole again. And to teach the lesson that no matter what happens to you, there's someone out there that something worse happened. So reach out and help people. 
So she was offering a helping hand to to people in difficult uh, uh, situations. And, and at her own peril, because in the South, it's not what it is today. Um, we still have a long way to go, but she could have been killed easily for what she was doing. Yeah, because it was quite risky uh, what she was doing. And um, it also led to uh, a longer uh, boycott, right? So how did her act kind of launch a movement? Um she was put into jail and um, when she was let out, uh, they, they met in the church and they tried to figure out what they could do. And they thought they should, could do a bus boycott in Montgomery. So the bus boycott lasted 365 days. And at the end of the boycott, the city had lost all the revenue from not having anyone ride the buses. They integrated the bus system. So it was a huge gesture. No one thought they could hold out that long, um, but they did. And it got national press. So it was really quite extraordinary. And when she, um, the myth around the story was that it was pre-planned by the NAACP. Uh, they had talked about it, but she said that when she got on the bus, she was looking in her purse for her money. And she put the money up and put it in and then looked up and saw who the bus driver was. She would never have gotten on that bus um, because she was horrified by the driver. She was scared of him. And um, in the South, if you were a single woman on the bus late at night, the bus driver would drive you to the end of the, uh, meaning the only person on the bus, would drive you to the end of the bus line, you would be raped and the police would be there to join in. So she was petrified of him and she was shaking when she pat. And she also, the myth was that she sat in the white section. She did not. She passed the sign that said whites only and went into the black section and sat down and he recognized her and he went back to harass her. Um, and that's when um, she said she got her strength from not standing up and moving farther back in the bus because Emmett Till um, had just died a week before and her mother had left his coffin open where he had been burned and charred for um, supposedly uh, approaching a white woman. Um, and it was the strength of that photograph that kept her glued to her seat. And she just prayed to the Lord because she was petrified. So things happen for a reason and in a sequence. Um, so you mentioned there's and this happened. Yeah. Also, the history is not necessarily his story. Because uh, you you mentioned a few myths uh, have happened, like she was sitting in the white area, or I think there has also been a myth that that she was like just really tired. And I watched this TED talk of a history teacher who wanted to clarify that certain things were clearly different. So can you uh, maybe share your view on uh, why history? It's not always um, being truthful, also in this case. I think that, um, I think from the beginning of time, it's his story. And whatever works for whatever um, is happening at the time, people, you know, you, you have, it's just, life is distorted, unfortunately. I don't know how to explain it, but it's human nature to write a story that's in your best interest, not necessarily the truth. Yeah, so it's it was in his, um, let's say, from a white man's perspective, the story. But there have been people that have been uh, rewriting the stories or trying to make it accurate, including your yourself. And, and, and Mrs. Parks also. She would, um, what, 
be asked the same question over and over again when she spoke, and she would tell what really happened, and nothing would be changed. Yeah. And um, in this boycott that you mentioned, I think Martin Luther King uh, also got involved. So how was the relationship between Rosa Parks and Luther King in this movement? So um, she had heard him speak. Um, he was an extraordinary speaker in church. And when they got together uh, to discuss what they were going to do after she got out of jail, um, they came up with the Montgomery bus strike and she suggested that he be in charge of it. And he did not want to do that. So she sent him letter after letter and spoke to him many times about why it was important that he, he do this. And finally he agreed. But one of the best things in her letters and conversations with him was you're new in town. No one has anything bad about you to use against you when you start this movement. So it was another lesson um, in leadership. It was uh, meant to happen, but it was an accident because he really didn't want the position and she pressured him into it. And it changed history. The two of them were uh, parallel lives th the rest of their lives and yeah. impacted millions. So it's beautiful that they connected and could accelerate this uh, movement. I also, uh, if I understood correctly, at some point there was also a slight disagreement between them how they should move forward with the movement, right? Yes. Um, Mrs. Park said that the movement would not have been successful if it wasn't for Dr. Martin Luther King and his um, pacifist, nonviolent movement. But she remembered how her grandfather protected them when the Klan would rampage their neighborhood and he would sit at the door with a rifle across his knee. And she really believed that that was um, important at times to bear arms to protect yourself. I see. So there. Um, so also another myth is that everyone thinks she was this meek little lady that weighed 90 pounds and um, uh, she was a fierce warrior. So she was a fierce warrior, but the, the one of the books that she wrote was called Quiet Strength. So how, how, like, why does, did she chose that title when she's a fierce warrior? Because, uh, It's got so much strength and power in it, who she was. In her interior core was a fierce warrior, but her persona was that of a gentle, um, loving person, which she was. She believed that love is all that matters. It was her mantra her entire life. She felt that you could fix hate with love, that you could meet people that disliked you or despised you um, by just shaking their hand and, and making things human. And she spoke about that a lot, but it was an incredible um, balancing act. Uh, you never saw her get angry. Um, you never, never saw her with the, uh, any harsh words against anyone, but she did speak the truth. So she was a tough cookie and would tell you what she felt, but never in anger. And she chose her words wisely so that she had this special power. And she didn't speak frequently. She only spoke if she had something to say. So she thought very carefully before she spoke. Um, and that was her quiet strength. And also, the quiet strength came from you could sit in a room and simply hold her hand, and she would channel through you. That is an extraordinary power. So she combined this inner strength and inner fierceness with, with like a... 
uh, a quiet strength from the outside in the in the sense that she would not use anger uh, to move people. And, and, and what's um, also what what's also extraordinary is she became a member of the Black Panther movement, which is a very militant group in the '60s. But that she was the only person the FBI didn't follow because they didn't think there was she was a problem. So that's also very interesting. these qualities um, uh, that she has, is it these qualities that made her unique? Also, other people tried to refuse uh, standing up in, in, in buses. I think she was not exactly the first one. So would you she, say she these qualities... Huh? Go ahead. Yeah. So is it these qualities that um, made her start this movement, or is there also a certain incident um, involved or luck? I am not sure. I think it's a really good question, and I'm not sure if she is would would answer it any differently. She felt she hadn't done anything special um, to get the recognition that she got. There were other people that should have become more famous than she from for a whole host of different reasons. She was very humble. I see. So it's hard to answer that but, question because yeah. But I think there was God's way. I, I really think that things happen in a sequence for a reason. And um, he has the strong, strongest. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in your book, you also write about um, uh, that religion is important for her and that God is important for her. So what, what role did God play in her life? Uh, nothing was more important to her than her love of God. She went to church every Sunday. Um, if she was too ill, and there were many times she was, the pastor would come to her. She was a deaconess in her church. Um, but what was also remarkable about her is she believed that you needed to integrate everything that you did. That um, she started learning the first religion other than her own. She learned everything you could about Judaism. She went on to learn about Buddhism, Hinduism, and this is really lessons, going religiously to learn about the other religions, um, which is Catholicism. She went to mosques frequently to learn that, that she felt that every religion should integrate all religions together for human rights, and that's where love came about. Um, she was, took great pride in the Amy church where she was a deaconess, but she always brought people of all religions, all ages, all colors into that church, much like she did when she was a member of the NAACP. Mm. So she was a true uh, bridge builder in that, uh, in that sense. Yes. And um, you wrote a book about her and, and you live with her, but how did you end up living with her? Can you share about that? So in, um, I moved into the Old Museum in the Mansion February 14th, 1980, um, Valentine's Day. So the, we have always been filled with heart. 
uh, and we immediately started doing uh, artists and heroes in residence program where people stayed here for free um, when they were transitioning between lives or when they were in town, whatever reason it was, um, especially the a vet program of people with PTSD. And she was severely um, accosted in her home in Detroit, Michigan. And I got a call from somebody that I did not know who said that she had no money. She adamantly refused to go back to her home again. Um, she needed a place to disappear that no one talked about her or knew she was there. So she had time to heal spiritually, physically, and um, emotionally. And could she come here if they could find the money to fly her here? And the way he was talking, I, I, I felt his pain, and I just said the words, yes, not knowing who she was. And about two Weeks later, I got a call from him again saying that she had just gotten out of the hospital. They were at the uh, airport. Um, they got a free flight through Southwest Airlines and that they were coming with five rooms. Could she stay just for a few days? And I said, of course. Um, so uh, when she came, she was in a wheelchair. She was very frail. And um, she reached her hand up at the door as they rolled her in and I touched her and my life irrevocably changed. I knew it from the moment I touched her hand. I uh, gave her the choice of two rooms and she chose the smaller one. And about three years later, I said, Mrs. Parks, why did you choose the smaller room and your assistant, the bigger room down the hall from you? And she said, she's much more important than I am. And I looked at her like, what? And she said, no, I'm Mrs. Joseph Parks, but she makes me real. So that also shows you how humble and authentic she was. She was always giving to other people, but she loved her room. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't leave her room, I would say, for about six months. She was um, so severely assaulted that her pacemaker was dislodged. And also spiritually and emotionally, she had a lot of healing to do. But what was uh, remarkable, you talk about history. If you go and Google Mrs. Parks's assault in Detroit, you'll see that she went to the hospital and was released right away and went home. She, had, she was of such sound mind at the, that she had everyone in the hospital sign NDAs that she was never there because she didn't want the children of the world to be afraid that in their home they could be assaulted. Like she was afraid as a small child with the clan coming into her home. So it really tells you that this special person deserved to become a hero and was a true hero. And um, that's a beautiful story. So you really seem to be someone that trusts lives, uh, the, the things that come to you, 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 you trust them and you invited her to your house. And how has it changed your your life, or how has it influenced your life? The um, I didn't realize how deeply she had changed my life until I started writing this book. And when I promised not to tell anyone that she was with me, I uh, kept that promise until 2019, many years after she passed. Uh, I think she died in 2005 because um, of that promise. And the Library of Congress was doing an exhibit on her, their first single person exhibit they'd ever done. They'd always done genres at the library. And they had come across photographs of us and some notes and asked me if I would write about her soul, um, not about the history of her, because I really don't know much history. I'm not a great student, I, but I know who she was from our 
experiences together. So I said yes, and that's how the book evolved. So while writing the book, I learned about how much impact she had on me from even the two of us used to write together. I didn't realize she was my, 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 um, what is it called? My muse. Mm-hmm. Because so much of what I wrote was really coming from her until I wrote this book. And, and I say in the book, I wished I had known this so I could have thanked her while she was alive, but I think she hears me now and we still have conversations. And, I, and if you come to visit the O Museum in the Mansion, which is in the heart of Washington, D.C., you will also feel her presence here. Yeah. That's I read, the power of, of uh, forever. I read, uh, talking about your museum, I read uh, about it, and it, it comes across as a very uh, special place. Can you share a bit more about why you've started this, what the purpose is, and how it is evolving? I started with no money, no business background, no art background, no design background. But I started with the visions that God gave me of the way the world could be if we integrate it with hope and memories and love and art and music. Because art and music are motivators to your soul. Um, And objects bring back memories that you might have forgotten about yourself that you put on the shelf. So when you see them, you feel where you were at the time they impacted your life and you recenter yourself. So that was really the emphasis of creating this place. And part of the, um, the soul of your place is that you allocate uh, part of your rooms to, um, to artists or to people who need like it. Arts, uh, yes. Can you share more about that program or that idea? Uh, yes, probably uh, 80% of our rooms are used by our artists and heroes and residents, which is the way life should be. So the 20% is by people that can afford the full price and they gladly pay it for the experience of spending a night in a museum. We were listed in Forbes magazine as the top seven hotels in Washington, D.C., which is really quite extraordinary because the other six are are, um, owned by billionaires that have all this money to place into what they're doing. And we have, um, I have no savings account but I have the grace of God and the purpose behind the house. So we've been able to survive um, for 43 plus years, even with the pandemic with no savings account because of our mission and vision and people help. It's really quite extraordinary. They give of their time. um, They give money, they donate, but it's mostly they give their expertise and their ideas to make this survive. And, And that's what people in business sometimes forget. They think that, Business should be money-driven and profit-driven, and it's quite the opposite. If you're mission-vision-driven, you will survive. Uh, that's beautiful. It reminds me of, um, I know one person in Amsterdam, and he helped a homeless person uh, to find this person a hotel. And then the, the idea got so much publicity that this hotel decided to do it more structurally, and now he tries to engage other hotels also to kind of do what you're doing. So I think it's a beautiful idea. And um, and next to Rosa Parks, can you give another example of an artist that is living in your hotel or has been living in in the hotel? We have an anonymity policy where we don't talk. Okay. But they range from famous scientists, to politicians, lawyers, to people that have just had a change in life that um, aren't able to function all the time. Or it's musicians that uh, managers stole all their money and they wake up one morning penniless when they thought they had millions. So it's just 
um, a, a range of people, but when you walk through the halls, you'll see lots of books and photographs of people that we have helped. Um, a lot of signed guitars come from these artists. We have per Prince's Purple Rain Jacket, which is really a highlight of, of being here. It's really quite extraordinary. So you have to come visit. Uh, that's, that sounds like a great idea. And uh, I understand that you have this anonymous uh, policy. Um, going back to Rosa Parks, so if you uh, extrapolate uh, the experience that you've had with her and some life lessons, you already mentioned a few, how would you summarize the life lessons for listeners? I, I think uh, be open and say the words yes. And it goes back to creativity. When you say yes, you open the door to possibilities. Um, be true to your word. Always say what you're going to do. Um, love is all that matters. And always that should be your focus, no matter what you do. Seize the moment. Uh, Mrs. Parks taught that to me over and over and over again, um, which is really quite extraordinary. Sometimes you don't understand that. Uh, and I'll give you an example. When um, we met the Pope in St. Louis with her, I was overwhelmed with being able to meet him. I'm Catholic, so it was like, woohoo, this is amazing. And she said, no, no, you have to understand that God gave me this opportunity for us to send a message to the world. So she had me help craft a, a message to him that she hand wrote when we got off the plane that was very simple. And, and um, one, the only word she changed in what I wrote was, he's not a great leader. And I said, Mrs. Parks, he's the, the Pope. How can you say he's not a great leader? And she said, everyone is a great leader. I don't care what their title is or what they're doing. Every human being is a great leader and has that potential. And then she thought for a moment. And about five minutes later, she said, change the word to moral leader, which was so perfect and so right. But in seizing the moment, the, she, her message was about talking about racism and the cancer in the society in America. And she just used America. She used that. She didn't say the world. And he was so taken with her um, and what she said that she asked him to do a press conference the next day. And they did. And it changed his life so that any, any speech that he gave after that, he talked about racism and how it needed to be addressed with kindness and love. So I was just couldn't wait to have my 20 crosses in my purse blessed by the Pope. <laughs> she seized the moment. She understood the greater purpose. And it was a lesson that she taught me over and over again. Wow, that's, uh, that's a very powerful story. And how is it for you to then have a meeting with Rosa Parks and, 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 the, and the Pope? I mean, I will probably feel ner nervous, but how, how do you handle such a situation? Uh, I was there to be her caretaker and make sure that she was okay was how I viewed my role. Um, so I, um, one of the things I asked her after we met her coming home up back to Washington on the plane was Mrs. Parks of all the people in the world, why did you ask me to come with you to St. Louis to meet the Pope? And again, she thought for 
was maybe three or four minutes and she looked at me with this wonderful grin and put her hand on the side of her cheek. We were holding hands. She said, oh dear, I didn't know you were white. And that is another lesson that she taught me. Don't see color. Yeah. So look beyond uh, any, any race. Right. And another, another person that has done that is, is Nelson Mandela. Um, Did you also meet Nelson Mandela by any chance with Rosa Parks or not? Yes, I didn't meet her with, I didn't meet him with her, unfortunately, but he had asked her to attend his birthday celebration in London and she was too frail to go. So I went on her behalf and read her mission. Um, the two of them were quite close, um, which was an extraordinary Um, thing to do to get to meet him and see the similarities because he had, he was quiet strength also. But what he said was that it was Mrs. Parks that gave him the strength to survive prison for all those years. So that when he, his first trip to the United States, he asked to go to Detroit first to meet her, to thank her. And um, when he arrived in Detroit, Of course, Mrs. Parks were there, but all the politicians and dignitaries had pushed her to the back of the runway of the of the plane. So there was like hundreds of people and she was in the very back row standing and she's a short woman. So he, he's on the, I don't know what you call it, the plank of the plane before you come down the metal stairs in those age at that time. And she, he didn't see her. So he just started yelling her name, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks. And then the crowd started yelling her name and they pushed her to the front. And that's how they met. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's, yeah, I don't know. I, I actually don't know what, what to say. because for me, it's hard to imagine to meet, meet such people and, and, and to have such experiences. Um, but yeah, maybe going back to the life, to the life lessons. Another one that I wrote down is, um, always ask questions to learn no matter how old you are. Um, so how did she apl apply that to life or how do you feel that lesson? Um, I'll give you an example because she was a woman that led an exemplary life by example. When she was 87 years old, she learned how to swim. And she did it because as a child, as a black person, you were not allowed to swim in a pool with a white person, in the ocean with a white person, in a river, in a lake. Um, and she wanted to teach two things. We are equal, equal, and at any age you can learn new things. So it was really quite extraordinary. I think that's that's beautiful because the risk is that at some point in your life you think you can't learn any any new things. Or, or she learned or how to use computers. She had seen me using my computer all the time because I have very bad handwriting. So uh -huh. she actually started to learn how to use computers, and in her institute in Detroit. Um, She uh, had children teach the seniors how to use the computers, which is also smart of her, so that they bonded the 70- and 80-year-olds with the small children that were four years to 18 years old in her institute. That's, that's beautiful, because she, uh, talking about her institute, I think she founded the Institute for Self-Development, yes. where she's probably sharing some of her wisdom with, with, with people. Um, can you share more about that institute, and is it still functioning? Yes. So um, what's interesting in another lesson that she taught me was about from her example of here where she didn't go out of her room for six months to to make herself better. When her husband 
and brother died within two months for each other. She checked herself and her mother who was living with her into a nursing home because she felt she was so emotionally distraught she couldn't take care of her mother, let alone herself. And she stayed in the nursing home in Detroit for one year. And as she healed from the death of her beloved husband and brother, she came up with the idea to create the Rosa and Raymond Parks Institute for Self-Development. So when she came out, that's she had purpose in life. She had direction. She could survive her pain by helping the inner city children learn what she had learned. Um, so you're exactly right. And yes, it is still going on today, um, which is really wonderful. And how do they, uh, how does it practically uh, look like? Do people need to apply or, or, or they collaborate with, with schools or how does it how do they implement? I am not sure how they get people involved to tell you the truth, but um, I think people just call and say they need help. Yeah. They do food banks. They, they teach gardening in the inner city. It's really a wonderful group of people. Yeah. And um, another institute is the 51 Steps to Freedom, uh, of which you are a founder, if I understand it correctly. Like, what is what is the 51 Steps to Freedom about? It's connecting the stories in Washington from the late 1700s to current, but telling them through the stories of, uh, of uh, what's not necessarily in the history books to connect... Um, a sense of pride and heritage in what's happened through the civil rights movements and all and the human rights movements and telling the stories of, of white people that have helped black people, black people that have helped white people. Um, there's a very prestigious university, and I'll use this as an example in Washington, Georgetown, Georgetown University. And it was co-founded by a, a white and a black priest. And no one knows that story. They know about the white founder. they know about he father healy but people don't realize he was the first african-american jesuit priest in the united states so telling that story but making it live not just with words we're doing augmented reality so at healy hall we're going to have through the use of computers father healy coming down the stairs and embracing his co-founder which is a, a huge statue in front of his building so it's it's a, a wonderful project and i was I was curious, how did you get interested in, in civil rights or also African-American themes? Like what motivates you? Um, I think that without knowing that Mrs. Parks affected me so deeply when she was here. Um, and it really uh, came from her lessons and, and her stories. Once I found out who she was, she asked me, which is about three years after she lived, started living with me, she asked me to travel with her throughout the world. And so I got to sit and listen to the stories and also the stories of pain that were shared in these meetings. Um, and and uh, it was all meant to happen. It was God's will. And how long did you travel together? Was it like a long real trip that you did or was it multiple Multiple trips. So she would come back here um, from the trips. Sometimes she would go to Detroit. I would not go to Detroit with her because she had such a backup of people that, that helped her at, her at her institute. But it was about seven years that I got to go and travel with her. And the best thing of traveling with her is holding hands on the plane. 
Because <laughs> the power of that is, is people forget that you don't have to speak. You don't have to have a lot of words that you can share moments. And those are the moments you remember the most. I see. So you don't always have to, you can be selective in, 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 in when you speak. Yes. to your story also how you approach this podcast but also how you invited rosa parks you really seem to trust in life and also in with your your hotel business or project or ideals um so can you share a bit about that approach and maybe how you learned it or why you decided to live like that i uh don't think i have any choice i get visions from god the pictures and then i just follow them And I don't know how to explain that, but I'm not really um, that smart or um, I just, the pictures that he gives me are, 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 I know how to make real because I see thousands of photographs flipping um, to do that. I don't know how to explain it, but it's why I have no fear that I'm not worried that I don't have a dollar to pay the next bill that comes in. I know it will happen because I see the vision of what this place looks like in 50 years. So it's kind of you get yeah it's it's a it's a blind it's called blind faith blind faith and it's an important thing to have it's and it's a it's good not to have a filter because blind faith does work you look at Mrs. Parks's life you look at Nelson Mandela's life they all had blind faith I see so you get you get just visions and blind faith and yep are you never are you never feared or you don't you don't have fears uh things upset me and i one of the lessons that mrs parks taught me was when you're upset um disappear forgive everyone everything in the morning forgive yourself so when i'm upset by human nature i will simply go to sleep and sometimes i'll stay in bed for a week But that's okay, because then I get the visions of what I need to do and who I need to become from that disappearing act. And I can go back and be stronger than ever. And that I hope by reading my book, people will understand how important this quality is. When you fear, disappear. Yeah. When you're sad, disappear. Um, and... and um, Then, but with the the understanding that everything happens for a reason, and that there's a reason these bad things happen, or human nature breaks into your life, um, because you can learn from it and make your world so much better and those around you so much better. It's a very good uh, piece of advice. So when you have fear, disappear and take a take a step back. Yep. And um, 
yeah, another big takeaway from the book is that you you can really start small and then it can become bigger uh, later. So is that also kind of an advice you want to to give people? Like you can you can start small today. Yes, keep it simple is what Mrs. Parks t- taught, um, and she used to say all the time, "Surprise me, Lord, lead you me where you need me." Mm. Lead me where you and need me. Bl- yes, and that's blind faith. Mm. And um, if people listen to this, they might. Um, uh, they, I assume they will be inspired by Rosa Parks and by you and also the things that you have created. But sometimes people have financial worry, right? If you follow your heart, there are some practical barriers. So how how have you dealt with like finances of th- these big projects that you have launched? Or how have you dealt with these topics? So when I moved into the mansion with no money, and when I mean no money, it's really none, it was just when credit card cash advances came out. And being a single woman in business, it's very hard in the United States to get bank loans. So I lived off credit cards and I applied for, I think, 42 at the same time. Um, and that's how I got the deposit to buy the the mansion. Um, so I I wasn't worried about when you don't start with anything, you don't have to worry about it. You just have to work seven hours a day, eight days a week and love what you do because it's not work then. But I just never worried about it. It was meant to happen. And I still use credit cards. Those cash advances when you need them are important. Even if you're paying 17 or I think some of the interest rates are 28%, there's a time for everything and you will keep your word and pay back what you owe. And I've uh, an example of that, 43 years. If I was interested in my bottom line or was a business person, I would have probably failed in less than a year. Mm, I, I see. And um, do you also have, because uh, um, you have the, the clients that visit the hotel, but do you also get, let's say, donations from certain philanthropic institutions? Uh, more from philanthropic individuals. Some institutions do through their individual Um we have, um, during the uh, pandemic, the city of Washington, is. we've been very fortunate to get some grants from them to help us survive. And also during the pandemic, we were closed for 10 months. Um, and we had no savings account when we were closed for 10 months. We were closed because no one was allowed to be open in the United States. But our banks came to us and said, we know what you've done for the community. We want to help you. So another important lesson in business is no matter what you're doing, be in contact with your bank every month of your existence. Let them know how you're doing. When things are bad, contact them. When they're good, contact them. Because they thought of us because of that. Um, And they basically bailed us out, gave us money to survive for two years. Um, And then when things weren't getting better, they gave us um, uh, no mortgage for six months. But that's because we had a good relationship with the bank. Yeah, so keep keep the relationship we, with but keep it simple too, so that we went with a local bank. We didn't go with a huge bank. So people think they should go with these big banks because the big banks are famous. Go with the community, stay with the community, help your community. That's how you survive. What goes around comes around, right? That's yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. And and what are some projects that you're currently working on or let's say in your 
uh, hotel? Like what are current activities that are important to you? So we we uh, had a safari room where we have experiences in the hotel. So we have a had a safari room. We just um, redid that whole experience. It's quite extraordinary. Um, we have a Halloween is very big in the United States. So we created an experience during the pandemic that is Halloween ornament in some of the uh, 110 rooms here. So. There's a lot, and every ceiling is different to get people to look up and understand you're just a piece of the world. But we created a Halloween area, which is crazy fun for people. We have a pop culture room. We have a log cabin, in a two-floor log cabin in the center of the mansion um, that makes you feel like you're in, a, in an urban area. You're out in the woods in Colorado or in the Alps. It's really quite wonderful. The back of the bed is a fish tank. So there's all these different experiences that when people come here, they go, why not? And they go home and they repaint their house or they put their 80 secret doors here that take you on a different journey um, in search of yourself. So the doors um, are really about finding who you are again and rediscovering yourself um, and reprioritizing your life. Mm. So the house is really a sanctuary, so and it, it is about your about what your podcast is about physically. Yeah, so it's a physical soul kitchen in a way. Yes, exactly. People can rediscover who they are and unleash their their creativity and their purpose. And and the safari room, elaborate. Can you elaborate what happens there? Is like you literally journey. You go into a, another world. Each experience here is going into a different piece of yourself and a different piece of your memories in order for you to... So many people put their past on different, in little cardboard shoeboxes on the shelf and they forget who they are. So by seeing these objects and listening to the different genres of music throughout the house and people re-anchor. And um, I haven't heard about many hotels uh, where that's the purpose, right? Helping people to rediscover who they are, um, to be honest. Um, so how did you come up with that idea or, or why is that purpose important to you? Did you have to re-anchor yourself at some point in your life? When I came to Washington, D.C. from Indiana, I wanted to help my country. I had jo- tried to join the Marines. It was the first year women were allowed in and in a conservative state my local Marine recruiting office did not want women, so they kept on losing my paperwork. And after the third time, I said to my best friend in high school, I'm going to come to Washington to help my country. And I came to Washington as a nanny for seven kids because I, I didn't have money, and I thought that would be a great way to discover the city, and it was wonderful. Um, but I didn't meet anyone that wanted to help anyone by them, but themselves. It was me, me, me. And that was very disillusioning for me. And that's where the idea of the house came about, that people came here to help, but they lost sight of others and focused on themselves. I'd say it's drinking the Kool-Aid. So by creating in the center the of town, the Kool-Aid for me. The Washington Kool-Aid that you're just focused on yourself. Yep. Yep. Help me. If you're not important enough, I'm ripping up your business card. That kind of mentality. Or if you don't believe in what I am, you don't exist. And I thought there should be, through the use of music and conversation and the arts, all of the arts, and also science, because I view scientists as the highest form of art. They see the bigger picture 
and they never get credited with being creators, but they really are. They change the world. So by the combination of all those senses, um, people can refocus on who they were and then who they can be. Mm, I see. And, um, and that's why we survived because of that vision. Because you have a deeper vision and a deeper purpose. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and um, um, an important part of like re-anchoring yourself or having a new vision is also letting go uh, right. of certain things. So do you facilitate the letting go as well or does that happen naturally? Um, I think it, it, I, I view my role as uh, being on the outside of a picture and creating the stage for other people to create on. So I, I view myself as being invisible. And I think if you journey here, if anyone comes here, um, it's uh, our website is omansion.com if you want to visit or omuseum.org if you want to tour. But the um, through the different things that are here, by your own power, you re-anchor yourself. It's not because I'm physically here. Something magical happens here. Miracles happen here every single day. Um, little miracles and big miracles. So it's it's um, pretty wonderful. You're making me. Uh, you're making me curious. <laughs> <laughs> I spent uh, two years ago. I left Amsterdam, and then I spent six weeks in. Uh, spiritual community in Costa Rica in, in the jungle of Costa Rica and it was a beautiful place for letting go of certain parts and evolving into a new person because th- the space just facilitated it by the people and also by the fact that it was a bit um, I don't know isolated from anything else so I can imagine that a place can be a driver for, for, for transformation and then uh, when people come uh to your place things happen then afterwards can you sometimes track what happens to them or is there something to stay in touch or is it more the experience and then they they leave people stay in touch which is really quite extraordinary and i'll give you an example of one of the miracles that happened here we had two hotel guests they were not part of our artists and heroes in residence they were full 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 rate they were here for a technology conference and they were sitting in what we call the mediterranean room having coffee in the morning, just talking to each other. And strangers in hotels don't talk to each other. Here they do. So I, I went I went through and asked if they needed anything, and they said no. And about a half hour later, I went through, and one of the gentle men that was sitting there was crying. And I said, sir, are you okay? How can I help you? And he said, I have to tell you what just happened. We're sitting here talking, and we find out that we're in the at the same conference, and then we find out that we grew up in the same town, and then we found found out that um, we were next door neighbors. When I was he was my when I was seven, he was my best friend um, for years. And then my parents put me in a car and we started driving. And a couple hours later, they said, "Oh, by the way, we're moving." I never got to say goodbye to my friend, and this is him. And all these years, I never had a friend again because I was afraid of losing him. And God brought us together here. And if we hadn't talked, we wouldn't have known. That was life-changing for him. It was the karma of coming full circle. And at the time, there wasn't the technology for them to stay in touch. They could have today. And how interesting it is that they both went into 
technology to try to connect because his best friend had the same uh, emotional response that he did. He never had another friend and then they met and they uh, learned a lot. Wow. And there's another example. We had somebody that was in the travel business and um, took tours to India and Africa. And every year for Christmas, we were open Christmas Eve. Um, we gave away free food. We had would have about a thousand people through here on Christmas Eve, but they brought their f- whole family every Christmas Eve for about 20 years. And they were just ready to downsize. And they were very sad that their children wanted nothing of their experiences. And they had bought these things as they were on tour. They had documented everything of where that, what city they found it in and what it meant to them. And so we have a big truck and we went and picked up four truckloads of their travels from their heart. And one of the pieces was a small child's desk hand painted from India. And, um, a family came to tour and we heard a, someone scream and then we heard a bang. And uh, my husband and I ran from different parts of the ha- same floor. And the husband said, stay back. Everything is okay. My wife will be okay. And about 40 minutes later, they came out of the room. They had closed the doors. And he said, I have to tell you what just happened. My wife, um, when she was five years old, their home was broken in in India and everything was taken. She saw the desk and it seemed familiar and she opened it up and her handwriting was her name inside the desk. And she just couldn't handle it and passed out. And then about six months later, the doorbell rang and thank goodness I was in the house I went to the door and it was the same woman. And she said, do you remember me? And I said, of course, I'm so happy you got the the desk because we gave it back to her. She didn't buy it. Mm -hmm. And she said, I have to tell you how it changed my life. And she came in and we were having tea and she said, I am the ambassador from India to the United States. And I thought I was a great diplomat. I thought I was a great politician. And I realized that from that incident of the theft when I was small, I didn't trust anyone. The last six months of my being ambassador from India, I began to believe in what I was being told. And I'm now going back to India with a whole different mission in my life because I became whole with the karma of getting my desk back from childhood. and, And I got to call the people that were sad that their children didn't want anything and tell them that story. And it was like karma for them, too, because they felt so empowered by having that magic happen. I see. So she, you restored uh, her trust in life, basically. Well, I didn't. The experience of being here did. The magic, yeah. what karma, yeah. whatever word you want to say. It wasn't no. about me. No, I but the, 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 the place, the yes. place, experience. Well, so transformation is an important part of the the place yeah, people's lives are transformed for the good for the good and um soul kitchen is a place where people find recipes uh, for life and uh, normally i ask the, the person that i interview what their recipe for life is but now i want to ask maybe two questions so let's say your recipe for life and then rosa sparks recipe and of course you already shared but if you had to Reflect, uh, how would you synthesize it? Um, Measure your words with grace and love is all that matters. 
I think those are the two and and uh, two biggest things: seize the moment and um, understand that at all times in your life, thank God. Well, thank you for that. Uh, these pieces of wisdom. And um, before we close the episode, is there anything else that you want to share um, with the listener that we might have forgotten? Um, I'll reshare this. Um, every night when you go to sleep, forgive everyone everything. And every morning when you wake up, forgive yourself. Forgiving yourself is so important. That's a great one. Not, don't stick in, don't stay into shame or into guilt or into fear. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was very special to me. So much that you have experienced in your life. That's 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 very incredible. And uh, I hope we can meet in uh, in real person. And uh, to everyone that has been listening, thanks for listening. And um, make come to Washington D.C. if you're curious in the in the hotel. <laughs> Thank you.